if you're going to face a real challenge, it has to be a real challenge. You can't accomplish anything without the possibility of failure. Pretty much everybody you see go out there. You really want them to succeed. You know that most of them won't. I want to go home knowing exactly why it is this race is so hard. I'm not just having to be fast and not just being able to climb hills well, but you got to find your way around. You have to be able to, to survive at night. everybody. My name is Shauna and this is the American English Podcast. My goal here is to teach you the English spoken in the United States. Your common expressions, pronunciation tips, and interesting cultural snippets or stories, I hope to keep this fun, useful, and interesting. Let's do it. Hello, hello, and welcome to this first podcast episode. So in that introduction, you got to hear a few participants and the creator of the Barkley Marathons. The Barkley Marathons are actually two ultra marathons, a 60-mile one and a 100-mile one that are world famous and take place in rural Tennessee every year. Tennessee is one of the states in the United States that's sort of central, um, south-central United States. Later on in this episode, we'll learn a little bit more about the rules, the trails, and sort of the black humor about this race and um, why it's so famous among runners around the world. But before we get there, let me just thank the Barkley Movie YouTube channel for the audio. And if you'd like to listen to the full video, I will provide the link down below. So take a look at that. We're going to begin with a joke today. And this is probably one of the oldest jokes <laughs> that I can remember that I learned when I was a kid. It's commonly used actually for prank phone calls. If you don't know what a prank phone call is, it is a call that you make to someone when you try and play a prank on them or play a joke on them. So the question is, is your refrigerator running? The answer well, you better go out and catch it. <laughs> it's not really very funny, but there is some interesting wordplay in there. Running has two meanings. The first meaning being probably very obvious to you. Running is to jog very quickly or, yeah, to walk at an incredibly fast rate to where you're actually exercising, where your heartbeat increases. So I usually run in the park on Saturdays. The other meaning of to run is when something is working or functioning. So if the car is running, it means that the car is on. The key is in the ignition and the car motor is running. It is working. Also, a lot of appliances in a kitchen can be running. For example, a refrigerator, when it's plugged in, it's running right? The cold air is blowing in the inside and the food is being kept fresh. So is your refrigerator running, right? Double meaning here. You can imagine the refrigerator running away. You better go out and catch it. So there you go. You just learned one of the most well-known jokes in English, <laughs> at least in the United States. All right, so for today's expression, I'd like to go through jog your memory. Uh, we're going to keep it kind of in the same theme here. 
First, we're going to start going through each individual word. So jog. Jog is to run at a slower pace. Okay, so to not run quite, but to go a little bit slower so that you're not sweating perhaps, maybe your heartbeat is a little bit slower. And usually when people jog, it's for exercise, it's not to beat someone in a competition. So jog your, your, okay, (laughs) it's from you, your memory, possessive of you, and memory, right? And your memory is what is what's inside your head that stores the different experiences of your life. It's interesting here. So jog in this sense sort of means stimulate, right? To jog something. We really only use jog in American English in the sense of stimulate with this expression. So jog your memory means to sort of nudge it or to push your memory, to kind of shake it up a little bit, to stimulate it. Right. So I'm going to give you some examples so that you can better understand the use of this expression. So example number one, say you go to a restaurant, right? And this is one of the best restaurants in town. They have an all you can eat brunch menu with banana French toast, waffles and an omelet station. But the problem is you cannot remember the name of the place. So you might tell your friend, hey, uh, can you jog my memory? I cannot remember the place that we went to last weekend. In other words, you want the, your friend to stimulate your memory. You want your friend to remind you what the name of the place is. There's example number one. Example number two, imagine that you're driving in a car, right? The radio is on music is playing, and suddenly a really wonderful song comes on, a song that you've been listening to for a long time. You have a lot of memories attached to this song, and so when the song plays, all these memories are brought back. Maybe your trips abroad, a birthday party when that song was playing, and that song jogged your memory. It helped remind you of all of these experiences in your past. In other words, it helped you recall them. It helped you remember them. The song helped jog your memory. Example number three. So you have this very forgetful friend. Imagine this friend cannot remember any of the activities you do together. One day you tell this friend, hey, remember that time when we went to the restaurant in Santa Barbara and that guy walked up to the table and ate directly from your plate? And she goes, hmm. No, not really. You could potentially, in this situation, pull a photo up on your iPhone of the meal you had together and say, okay, let me jog your memory. Let me jog your memory. In other words, let me help you remember that time when we were at this restaurant and the guy walked up to the table and ate from your plate. Okay, kind of a random example, um, but also... Very common, of course, if you have an Instagram, you probably jog your friends' memories a lot when they cannot remember specific stories of the past. We're going to go through a listen and repeat exercise now, and we're going to use the sentence, let me help you jog your memory. Repeat after me, let. 
Let me. Let me help you. Let me help you jog. Let me help you jog your. Let me help you jog your memory. 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 Notice that I don't say your, I say your, your. We emphasize nouns, verbs, and adjectives more heavily than some of these, you know, possessive forms or, you know, these pronouns. Okay. Now repeat the sentence after me. This is to practice your conjugation. I jogged her memory with a photo. He jogged her memory with a photo. She jogged her memory with a photo. We jogged her memory with a photo. They jogged her memory with a photo. It jogged her memory. In other words, the photo jogged her memory. Notice here that in this sort of pronunciation exercise, I had the word jogged next to her. Jogged her. But I didn't actually separate these two words. I said jogder, jogder. When an H is preceded by an ed ending, you're going to want to connect the ed ending to the H and kind of get rid of that H. Take that H away. I can give you another example. I called him last night. I called him. Called him, called him, but I say called him last night. Same with this one. I jogged her memory with a photo. Just something to start paying attention to if you haven't noticed that before. All right, so that's it. Let's go ahead and learn a little bit more about the Barkley Ultra Marathon. So let's begin by talking a little bit about measurement in English. First of all, we use what we call the imperial system. Not the metric system. However, there are certain periods of time that we do use the metric system. For example, in races when they're under 26 miles, when they're under a marathon, right? So, if you're going to a race, you might see 5K. 5K stands for five kilometers. So, I did a five-kilometer race when I was living in New York. And it was on my bucket list. Crossed that off my bucket list and was very excited about it. Someone might also do a 10k. I did a 10k. In other words, I did a 10-kilometer race. So we do use kilometers when talking about races under the 26 miles. However, when going over 26 miles, 
It, I think it would be very rare to use kilometers, although you could. When talking about driving, of course, that's a different story. We do not use kilometers. People would be very confused if you started mentioning things in kilometers because we don't quite understand kilometers when they get to higher numbers. But just to give you an idea, one mile is 1.6 kilometers. So speaking about marathons, of course, a marathon is uh, just over 26 miles or just over 42 kilometers. And in the United States, probably the most famous marathons are in New York, Chicago, and Boston. They're the most televised and they have the highest number of participants and finishers. We're going to actually compare the marathons in New York, Chicago, and Boston to the Barkley marathons. As I mentioned before, the Barkley marathons are actually ultra marathons. And an ultra marathon is when the number of miles is over 26. And I'm saying marathons here in plural because there are actually two options when it comes to the Barkley marathons. They have what is called a 60 mile fun run or a 100 mile full course. All right. So you're probably thinking, Oh my goodness. How long would it take to run for 60 miles or 100 miles? And actually the creator of the race limited it to 60 hours, right? So 60 hours is a very long period of time. If you run for 60 hours, you will have to run during the night. As opposed to a regular marathon, you would not need to run overnight <laughs> because it is a day race, right? Another thing that's a little bit different from a regular marathon is that there are 20 mile loops in the Barkley Marathon and they're unmarked. So it's not like a regular marathon where you can follow people, you can follow the other racers, the other runners. You need to find your own way when you run the Barkley Marathon. That means you need to bring a compass or a map or some sort of non-technological device to help you find your way through the forest, up the hills, through the rivers, etc. Another thing that's different is that there are no aid stations, right? Aid means help. And so as you can imagine in a regular marathon, if you have a problem, maybe you twist your ankle, you sprain your ankle, you can stop and get help. There are these help stations that can help you with your problem. Now, imagine you're in the forest in Tennessee and you twist your ankle climbing up a hill. There is nobody there who will be able to help you. So you need to help yourself. So if you cut yourself, if you get a blister, um, that's when you your skin rubs against your shoe and a bubble forms, then there will not be someone there to provide you with a Band-Aid. Another difference is that there are only two water stations in the Barkley Marathons. <laughs> and there are, of course, many water stations if you go to the marathon in New York, Chicago, or in Boston. So the biggest problem I think for runners of the Barkley marathons is it's a mental challenge. There are only 40 participants in the event, but it's actually very difficult for these runners because they run on very little sleep. So not only is there a lot of vertical climbing 
up hills, perhaps a lack of water at times, maybe people get hurt. They also have to deal with sleep deprivation. And sleep deprivation is when you do not have enough sleep. So this is uh, very challenging, and that's probably why the race has only been completed 18 times in history. So why does this trail even exist, or why does this race even exist? Well, a man by the name of Gary Lazarus Lake Cantrell created it, and we're going to call him Gary just for the sake of this podcast, and he actually is from Tennessee, and in the area where he lives, there's a penitentiary. A penitentiary is another word to say prison. In the late 60s, a man by the name of James Earl Ray assassinated Martin Luther King. That was on April 4th, 1968. And so James Earl Ray was sentenced to life in prison. In 1977, he actually escaped that prison, that prison that was located near Gary's home, right? Near where Gary grew up. And as the story goes, Ray, James Earl Ray, who escaped from this prison, only covered about eight miles after running for 55 hours in the woods. And so Gary, in reaction to this, said, what? Only eight miles in 55 hours? I could run 100 miles in 55 hours. Or sorry, 100 miles in 60 hours. So that's how the race began, and he ran it first in 1986. How does one even go about participating in this? So in order to participate, there's kind of some funny rules. And I think this is kind of where you get to know Gary's character a little bit better. So the registration fee is non-refundable, but it's only a dollar and 60 cents. And the application consists of one question that you need to answer. That question being why I should be allowed to run in the Barclay. So people respond to this. He receives about, eh, he receives hundreds of applications in a year and he decides who is going to go sort of based on these applications, but also with the help of a drawing. A drawing is where you pull names from a hat. So he first reads the applications and then he divides the participants up into categories. So the first category is overseas runners. So he leaves a number of spots for these overseas runners. There's people from France, people from Germany, people from Taiwan, wherever you're from, he'll leave some spots or slots open for them. The second group are elite athletes, and he accepts a larger number of elite athletes, I think because he probably knows they have a better chance at actually completing the race. And these people have expertise in climbing. Some of them are multi-day bicyclists. Some are racers, uh, orienteering specialists, and uh, hikers, climbers. Yes, I mentioned that. And so these are usually the people that would finish. And the last category is contributors. So people who get in by merit. In other words, they've done something in order to get into the event. All right. Um, now, the interesting, last interesting thing is when people arrive to the race, they need to pay, but not a monetary fee, 
Well, first, for the virgins, or uh, in other words, the people who are attempting the Barclay for the very first time, they pay with a license plate from their home state or country. For people who are the veterans, he calls it, um, and these are people who failed at the Barclay before, they enter by bringing a pair of gold toe dress socks, <laughs> dark blue or black. And for alumni, and these are the people who have completed the Barclay before, around 15 runners, the entry fee is a pack of regular camel filter cigarettes. All right, so that's that's a little bit about getting in. And I I found it really interesting reading a little bit more about who has actually completed the race in the past. And to give you an idea, one of the people I saw on the list was a man named Brian Robinson, who ran the Barclay in 55 hours, 42 minutes, and 27 seconds. To give you a little bit of background about him, he is a very experienced competitive distance hiker and runner who holds many ultra marathon world records. He has completed the triple crown of hiking, which is actually very cool. I hadn't heard of it before. It's a combination of the Pacific Crest Trail, the Appalachian Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail, which connect along the United States, and they connect over a total of 22 states. This hike totals a distance of over 7,000 miles, and he completed it in one year. So that gives an idea about who completes this race. Of course, not everybody doing regular marathons are able to hike for a total of one year. But um, I think it's interesting. It's interesting to see what kind of people are out there in the world. I'd like to give a shout out to my student, Sebastian, who lives in Luxembourg and is a runner. He's the one who told me about the Barkley Marathons and got me to watch the documentary. I highly recommend it. It does not disappoint. So if you are interested in learning more, visit barkleymovie.com. All right, that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the American English Podcast. Remember, it's my goal here to not only help you improve your listening comprehension, but to show you how to speak like someone from the States. If you want to receive the full transcript for this episode, or you just want to support this podcast, make sure to sign up to premium content on AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. Thanks and hope to see you soon.